The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And to all those moms out there, the happiest of Mother's Days. I heard on the news yesterday that the average daughter spends $147 on their mother on Mother's Day, and the average son spends $185 on their mother on Mother's Day. Um, Frankly, I found those numbers kind of astounding, Um, but I have to apologize uh, and we'll, you know, it'll all come here, come together here in a second. I apologize for last week. I really was. I had bronchitis and I had zero voice, completely no voice. And, you know, things, Murphy happens in threes. That was the day that my original Keurig failed as well. So my mom's day present to me was a brand new cranberry colored Keurig machine. And that's enough of Mother's Day, and that was a lot less than the average that people seem to spend on Mother's Day. So to all you moms out there, I hope you are having as nice a Mother's Day as I'm planning to have. Uh, My son's cooking for all the moms. So to the business at hand, why are we all here this morning? There are plenty of folks out there trying to inflame your passions, Mother's Day or not, and that hyperpartisanship, which was on display in Washington this week, and in Sacramento a little bit, just gets in the way of solving all the vexing problems that we face. My purpose is different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. Those mail-in ballots that so many of us use were mailed this week. Um, If you're at the tail end of the alphabet, you may not have gotten yours yet, but it's definitely coming. Uh, And I urge you to get informed and then to use that ballot to make some important changes in the direction of California. As a businesswoman, you know that I focus on the numbers. And the numbers tell me what is out of the norm, what critically needs attention, what has to be triaged right now, and then how to prioritize the necessary changes. And so in the numbers this week, you know, following on a conversation I had yesterday with some good friends, all of us having already received our ballots and saying, so who are you going to vote for? Uh, which led to a lively discussion that came out of the Tuesday evening um, NBC broadcast gubernatorial uh, debate, if you want to call that a debate. After that debate, I went and looked up the numbers. More than one quarter 
of the total homeless population in the United States, more than 25% of the 50-state total live in California. One of the things that didn't get talked about in that debate was the incongruity of the state with the greatest number of really wealthy people and the largest impoverished population in the nation. But let's talk about housing and homelessness for just a second. 75% of Los Angeles's 55,188 people who are homeless are termed by the city of Los Angeles bureaucrats, and I'm going to quote, unsheltered. I love it when government euphemisms are used to explain away totally unacceptable facts. 55,188 people slept on the sidewalks of Los Angeles, and about another 38,000 slept on the sidewalks of San Francisco last night in 50-degree weather. (coughs) And that was already springtime. And we call it the unsheltered population. Well, all six candidates leading the polls in the gubernatorial contest have said and said on that stage in San Jose on Tuesday night, well, developing more affordable housing is a priority. But let's talk about what's affordable in this state. You know how many units of affordable housing we need? That's housing for people who make somewhere in the neighborhood of 40000 to uh, maybe $125,000 a year in the state. Uh, more of them focused at that low end than at the high end because at about 125, you kind of get out of being um, in the housing poverty zone in California. <clears throat> I mean, in the rest of the country, you're you're in the top 25% of taxpayers. But set that aside. This is, after all, California. We need 3 million units of affordable housing. That's not McMansions. That's a townhouse, an apartment, you know, a little, what they call a little house, um, even prefab constructed housing or shelters for those in need of transitional housing, three million units. And you know what all these pious people on that stage did not have? Yes, yes, we need three million units of housing. We're going to get three million units of housing. But not a single one of them, and I've now been to all their websites, has a plan or a timetable to accomplish this. And in the meantime, the majority of that 114,000 men, women, and children are sleeping on the concrete. And if they're really, really among the better-off homeless they have a tent. So why can't we solve this problem? Well, because if you had a if you had a plan, you'd have to tell people where you want to put that housing. And we have a problem in California. It's called NIMBY, not in my backyard. You know, most of these people 
are homeless because of the unaffordability of housing in California if you don't have access to, uh, if you're not extremely well-educated and don't have access to um, the international money market. So not in my backyard's one issue. The availability of good land to build on is another issue. Planning and regulation at the city, county, and state level compound. It means it takes years and millions more dollars to build a building. It takes a decade. It takes a decade to build a affordable housing complex. And in the meantime, during that decade, the developer who has to already have the land is paying a, you know, interest on the loan on that land. And that mortgage and that interest and the cost of borrowing that money and the cost of complying with the regulation means that year after year, that developer's costs are increasing. And so we're going to be back right after the commercial, to talk a little bit about what kinds of solutions could be proposed to California's affordable housing crisis. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the affordable housing crisis in California because I have to tell you that it outrages me that 114,000 men, women, and children slept on the streets of California last night. It just outrages me that in the fifth richest nation in the world, 25% of the nation's total homeless population is sleeping on the streets. What kind of future do those children have? So in looking for who I'll support in the gubernatorial contest, I'm looking for somebody (coughs) who has an idea. And you know what? I didn't find anyone. John Cox, during the debate, said, well, I can build a unit of affordable housing in Indiana for $80,000, and here in California it would cost me $700,000. So, of course, I rushed off to his website looking for the facts. Um, Well, what I found was I can't find any history that Cox ever built a unit of housing in Indiana. And I can't find any information that corroborates those numbers. But I did find some real numbers. And so if you are holding a knife right now, I'd suggest you put it down. Because I did the math and then I did the math again because I couldn't believe my own eyes. The Wall Street Journal puts the current cost of building one unit of affordable housing in California at $332,000. That's one two-bedroom apartment. Now, we need three million units. Three million units of affordable housing. That means housing in which the government in some way contributed some amount of money to the development cost. Three million units, and now I really want you to put that knife down, at $332,000 each is $996 billion with a B. 
ladies and gentlemen, I would submit that cost is unaffordable and that what it says, and it says it in screaming neon, you know, feet tall letters, is that we've got to make some changes to the planning and permitting and development process that have three aims. House people and do it in a way that protects the environment and is safe for both the residents and the community. And anything that does not support those three objectives has to go in order to reduce the cost per unit. We've got to step outside the box. We need some creativity instead of the old tax regulate, which is a retax, and repeat. We know that doesn't work because we are short 3 million units of affordable housing. And raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour does not, facing these numbers, do anything to solve the problem. The problem is only going to grow if we don't radically change direction. Now, 3 million units at 332,000, almost a trillion dollars. One would think the legislature would want to attack this cost reduction issue with every fiber of their collective being. (laughs) But you'd be wrong, because instead of working to simplify and speed solutions, our state legislature added a requirement this week that every new unit of housing in California being built, starting like next year, has to be equipped with solar panels. That adds about $12,000 to the cost of building the house. And that's just, you know, for the sticker, for the, you know, the price sticker, right? That adds at 3%. About forty dollars a month to your mortgage. So if you're if you're right on the cusp of being able to qualify, it could disqualify you. That number will rise. That forty dollars a month will be fifty or sixty, as interest rates on mortgages return to traditional norms in the five to six percent range. Then you have to add to that well, when you're talking about accumulated costs for housing, which is part of what banks look at when they're qualifying you for a mortgage, you have to plan on $500 a year to maintain the solar panels. And we found that the average solar farm on a house on top of a single-family home costs about $650 a year additionally to keep it in good repair. Um, They break a lot. And the only cut to your utility bill really comes from the federal 30% clean energy credit. So if Congress eliminates that credit, you have another increase in cost, which makes housing less affordable. You know that we pay the highest utility, electrical utility rates in the country? I mean, we have water, we have hydro, we have natural gas that is, you know, right here from California. We have wind, we have solar, and we have the highest costs of electricity per kilowatt hour, 19.1 cents, of anyone in the United States. And that's because of the 50% renewable mandate that the legislature put on everybody's utility bill. So if you're struggling to pay for 
you know, $2,000 for some studio apartment somewhere, you would be, be you would benefit from a lower utility bill. But the legislature, in its wisdom, is going in the other direction. And what makes this even more incredible, more ridiculous, is that we put out so much rooftop solar now that the utilities have to pay the people who have the rooftop, um, and then they have to give that power to Arizona in order not to overload our line. So Arizona gets our paid-for power for almost nothing. Now, if that makes sense to you, if that's a good way to use your utility dollars, then, you know, I'd like to hear from you at 888-367-5329. And I'll tell you, I'm pretty green, but it's got to be sustainable. So if we go back to what are some sensible solutions, not solar panels on top of <clears throat> transitional housing, um, but what are some things that we could do that would begin right now to reduce that 114,000 people who slept on the concrete last night? There are some things we could do. We can start to repurpose excess public land and use it for housing so that we don't have the developer doesn't have the huge land cost. We can create a single standard for housing of this sort across the state if it's transitional housing. There should be some common standards, especially if it's being built on land that the government already owns or repurposed on land <coughs> that the government already owns. And, and the opposite of that is now true. <coughs> In Los Angeles, where they have a program to try to you know, reduce the homeless population, the city councilman and the district that is affected can um, can say, um, you know, I don't want that particular um, <clears throat> transitional housing or or affordable housing in my district because. So, <clears throat> in L.A., in the Times I read last week, that one council member actually defeated a proposal that would have cleaned up and reclaimed a junkyard and built affordable housing because she thought the building they were going to build was, and I'm going to quote, too boxy. She'd rather have people sleeping on the street than clean up a junkyard because the building they were proposing to build was too square. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it doesn't to me. We could help with the addiction problem and the mental health problems that crowd the sidewalks of our cities. <clears throat> because you know what? When we had a robust residential mental health system under Governor Reagan way back when in California, we didn't have tent encampments in those days because we had programs for those people. We helped those people. We had humanity for those people. So if you think I'm outraged at 114,000 people sleeping on the streets, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> the last idea that I had, which was something I actually wrote about several, uh, two or three VA secretaries ago, <clears throat> was to work with the Veterans Administration to create temporary housing on Veterans Administration facilities 
And you know who you could use to build those facilities? Yeah, homeless vets. Let's give them what they most deserve, dignity and a chance to get back on track to the American dream. And we'll be back in just about 30 seconds to talk about the $107 billion gap in the California teacher retirement system. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And it appears that we have a caller. Antonio, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, uh, I think that a problem of uh, lack of housing can be solved uh, very quickly. Uh, This uh, state has been flooded with illegals, and if the sanctuary uh, law, state sanctuary law, is repealed and uh, uh, immigration policies are enforced, it it was actually free housing in great amount. Uh, that's uh, the main problem. I, uh, I've been active in the city of San Leandro. We passed uh, uh, a tenant uh, relocation assistance, and uh, that stopped some of the evictions, a lot of the evictions, actually, because the, the landlords don't want to pay they want to pay the tenant relocation, which in, in this city will amount to one bedroom, something like uh, $7,000. So uh, the, uh, that's one of the solutions, but that doesn't free housing, because uh, uh, since the illegals are displacing also uh, U.S. workers from their jobs, because they offer to work for less, and... Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's the problem of uh, uh, people uh, in the streets. And besides, obviously, those uh, states uh, that have long winters with uh, uh, snow and everything, those are coming here also. So well, I think that's, we uh, know that's the main problem. I think we all know that, um, that uh, the lack of snow on the streets is... Uh, is an attractive factor. Um, I'm sure that some amount of housing is taken up by illegals, but you know what? We don't have 3 million uh, illegals in the state that we can possibly count. <clears throat> and so while, um, you know, what I'm looking for um, realistically is, um, is a way in which uh, we can actually house people. We're not going to repeal the sanctuary law barring a cataclysmic event um, because the state legislature is committed to it. And so as a people, we need to figure out, we need to force uh, a solution, a permanent solution to the immigration issue that is comprehensive. I mean, that is, that's, but that's a national priority. That's a national issue. That has to be solved by the federal government and the federal judiciary. So it's Congress, the president, and the Supreme Court who must resolve that issue. 
and you're absolutely right, Antonio, that we need to put pressure on them to do that. But it is clear <clears throat> that we will have 200,000 people on the streets because I think some of the people on the streets uh, are part of that illegal population. A big part of that population that lives on the streets or in these tent encampments are actually people who are working. But even people who are working cannot find affordable housing in California. And the legal immigration system, a system that puts people in line for a green card if they buy property in California, does not help this situation either. So I think you're you're correct in identifying um, in a illegal immigration as one of the sources of homelessness or the attractiveness of especially Southern California's climate. <clears throat> but none of those, but solving those problems would only reduce the problem. It would not solve it. We still need creativity. We need people willing to think outside the box. And we need a certain amount of money. And we need, above all else, a common sense of humanity. Whether you're an immigrant or a citizen, um, if you're here, if you've been encouraged to come here, if you're working here, you got to have a roof over your head. I mean, I was out in a parka this morning. It's cold out there. So, you know, I think your, I, I think your points are valid. Um, but, you know, I'm going to move on and talk about another $107 billion hole that you and I as taxpayers have to uh, <coughs> resolve. Um, but thanks for your ideas. <coughs> so, um, again... Uh, if you've got ideas about how we can solve this housing crisis, we're all ears. 888-367-5329. But moving on, <coughs> there was another subject that came out of that gubernatorial debate that kind of banged around in the back of my head for the next couple of days, and that was education. It's one I care deeply about from kindergarten through my graduate degree. I am a veteran of California's public education system. I'm a proud graduate of the University of California's <coughs> as both an undergraduate and a graduate. Um, but the education I got was not the education my son got, is certainly not the education that my grandkids are getting. So I was rather shocked to read this week that the California Teachers Association, uh, coming right behind, coming right behind the uh, <coughs> public employee retirement system, uh, announcing that they would need six point nine billion dollars in additional state general fund money come June thirtieth. That needs to get added into the budget and transferred to them to make up part of the deficit that they're experiencing this year in paying pensions. <clears throat> but now the teacher's retirement system has reported that they've recalculated their um, obligations and their uh, expected uh, reserves on hand over the next um, 30 years going out. And by reducing their estimate of the re rate of return from 7.5% a year to 7% a year, 
they've determined that they need another $107 billion with a B. That's equivalent to about a third of the state's annual budget to close the gap between what they've promised teachers in their retirement and what they actually have in funding. And if you take a look at your own investments, you want to know how this problem has started and compounded for year after year after year, look at your own investment portfolio. Over 30 years, you're doing really, really, really well if you make 5.5% compounded. You're doing really, really well. If you've been in a 401k over the last 30 years, you didn't do that well. (coughs) And so we will be back in just a moment to talk briefly about how that $107 billion translates into your child's education. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And before we went to break, we were talking about $107 billion, billion with a B, shortfall, between what the California Teachers Retirement System says it's able to pay its beneficiaries and what it's promised them. And you do know who has to make up that gap, don't you? So, it should help you to understand the dichotomy, the quandary, better word. You know, I've talked with millions, with thousands, hundreds, thousands of people about over the years. Some of them very highly placed in California state government. It's hard to understand how the second highest taxed state, which is in itself the fifth largest economy in the world that has a constitutional requirement that half of those very high taxes collected have to be spent on K through 14 education. Okay? You have all those, that's a lot of money, right? So out of that, how do you explain the fact that California ranks in the top five of teacher salaries. And yes, I want my kids to have really good teachers. So I want teachers to have a living wage. But then if you turn around and you look at it the other way, California ranks 41st in the nation out of 50 in per pupil spending. Okay, so how does the fifth richest nation in the world... With the, sixth, with the second highest tax rate in the United States, with half of its tax revenue dedicated to K-14 education, how is it that our K-12 system only spends $10,291 per student? Well, let's see if we can change this equation around just a little bit. Let's talk about ratios. So the rate of taxation, that's the um, 13 14 15% of your adjusted net taxable income rate. The rate of taxation seems to be less important than the ratio of taxpayers to students. 
And therein, you get to part of what Antonio was talking about in terms of a population which pays no taxes but produces a lot of kids that go to California schools. And that is part of the problem. First, we have the problem with pension promises. And and this is a pay-to-play scheme, folks. So if you go out and you look at the ads on television right now for candidates for governor, lieutenant governor, um, the, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, the various legislative seats, et cetera, and when you see at the bottom uh, SEIU and California Teachers Unions feel the sucking sound, that is the, uh, the vacuum taking more and more money out of your pocket through direct taxation and indirect taxation because it's a pay-to-play scheme, okay? The SEIU collects dues, puts a portion, a big portion of those dues into a political action group, gives that money to candidates for office who then in turn in office create legislation and regulation that favors those union members. Bob Pearl's going to come back, Robert Pearl's going to come back and talk to us some more about education, in, about health care and the cost of health care in June. And one of the things we're going to talk about is when you have a strike at all nine California university hospitals, and, and yes, I, I think the, the wages given California's cost of living are quite low, remember that those wage increases are going to be reflected in the bills that you get when you're a patient in those facilities. So all of these big promises that were made by members of the legislature who then went on to higher office or retired out of the system themselves, et cetera, those, are, those promises are being paid for by your children's future. It's time for us to sit down with teachers and say, help us to help you, to help our children. But something's got to change because that $107 billion deficit is really probably much bigger. If you went down to 5 or 5%, you'd probably say we're $200 billion short. And remember, California's total state budget is around $350 billion. So where is that money going to come from other than from your children's futures? And while we're looking at rankings, let's talk a little bit about achievement because that's what the consequence of $10,291 per student. This is not the fault of teachers who are crowded into bigger classes um, because we now have (coughs) forced bilingual education, more English-speaking students crowded into bigger classes. What it means is that California students rank 46th for English, 47th for math, and 50th in science. Now, if that doesn't say in neon letters we have a problem, um, I don't know what does. But it does not appear to be, because, you know, I think teaching is a noble profession. But we got to get the dollars into the classroom. And we got to make sure if we're promising people a retirement, that we can actually, between their contributions and our contributions, pay them. So the problem doesn't seem to be the direct ratio of teacher pay to student achievement. Because you know what? We saw it on TV last week. The worst paid teachers in the United States are in Oklahoma. 
and their student ranking in English, <laughs> they're 45th. So we have the fifth best paid teachers. They have the worst paid teachers. And our kids are performing at about the same rate. Something else is wrong. So I'm going to urge you to ask some hard questions of the people who want your vote on, on June 5th about how to turn this ship estate around. Because California is the fifth richest economy in the world. It also is, by a measure of four or five times, the most indebted state in the union. With bond, you know, we, we, we voters just pass those bond issues like, boop, 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 and they keep accumulating, one on top of another. And we have a $6 billion rainy day fund, and yes, that's wonderful. But when this economy, which is still needs the Fed to, you know, blow, to, to manually move the bellows to put more air on the fire to get it to, to grow to 3% consistently, they've put off, you noticed, another rate increase. When this economy, as we know, because we've lived through enough of them, goes the other direction, that rainy day fund does nothing to cover these monumental costs. So what we have found in this 40 minutes we've spent together is about a trillion dollars of additional debt that California taxpayers are going to have to figure out a way not to pay because we don't have, our wallets aren't big enough. We're going to have to figure out a way, a new way to manage these issues. And that is not a we, they, it's an us. Everybody's got to work together. Um, And we need to look for candidates in the June primary who are committed to looking for creative bipartisan solutions, not rehashing the old stuff all over again. And we'll be back with some closing thoughts. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org reimagineamerica.org Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a few closing thoughts. So, as I'm looking at that ballot that's sitting on my desk, <coughs> and I, <coughs> I apologize for the frog in my throat, but as I'm looking at my desk, and I've got that ballot sitting there, and I keep looking at it, and unfortunately, nothing's changing. I can't find any of any candidates on that ballot who are willing to confront the gigantic issues that we face. I mean, we've talked about a couple in the last hour and none of us are hysterical or, you know, or or threatening mayhem. We're facing big issues and we're saying, at least I'm saying, we need to find a new way to solve those problems because the old way has gotten us another trillion dollars in the hole. So what I'm going to ask you is as you're looking at that ballot, think less about what they're promising you. Take a look at these candidates and ask yourself, what have they actually accomplished in previous offices? I think that's the only milestone that makes any sense. I mean, in the business world, We say we do references because prior performance is an indicator of future performance. So I'm going to urge you to take a look. 
And then I'm going to ask you to think about one other thing, and maybe we'll have a few minutes next week after our conversation with Eric Early, who is running for um, California's attorney general's job, uh, the only practicing attorney who is running. Um, And I'm looking forward to that conversation about the need for deregulation, et cetera. But in the meantime, I want you to think about what these people meant when they talked about California values. What happened in the state of California, the state of California, one of the 50 of the United States? What happened to American values? I just had the funny feeling that the concept of checks and balances and give and take between the federal system and the state system seems to them to be nothing more than a quaint anachronism and a place to get free money. I didn't feel respected. I didn't think they respected people who've done the work of citizenship. They blurred the lines between privilege and responsibility. And they gave me the distinct impression, because I'm a centrist and I see right and wrong, that I'm not quite evolved enough for them. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Someone who is evolved for enough for all of us is Senator John McCain. And Kelly Sadler deserves to be fired. Her comment at a White House press meeting, press team meeting, was shocking. That is why five people in the room picked up their phones and rushed to tell reporters about what had been said. Okay? Um, There's nothing funny about what she said, saying it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. There was nothing about it that was humorous. It was crass. It was cheap. And as Cindy McCain pointed out, it was hurtful to the McCain family. And then the White House doubled down. I've had the privilege to know John McCain. I worked on his 2008 campaign because my late husband was also a Navy flyer. I know a lot of Navy people who served with him before, during, and after his captivity. I've watched him stand on principle all of his public life. He deserves our respect. His family deserves our embrace at this very difficult time for all of them. And we pray for, um, for McCain's family. He is an American hero. And we'll be back next week to talk with Eric Early to talk about the California ballot. And in the meantime, if you have comments, suggestions, questions, Joyce at reimagineamerica.org. And remember, Reimagine America is self-funded and donations at the website are always welcome. Until next week, have a great Mother's Day. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.